This is another episode of Main Corpse. I am your host, Matt. And I'm Kelsey. This is Kelsey. We have got a story for you that's going to turn the stomach. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Main Corpse Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey, and this is... Main Corpse! I think. And that's Matt. And this is Matt. <laughs> Kelsey, you already said Main Corpse. I did! I'm being stupid. All right, so um, today... We have something really cool to talk about. Yes. So we do not have food for the beginning, but we are going to talk about an experience that we had at a restaurant and maybe even a little bit of about the event itself if we want to. I would love to. Perfect. You guys by this point hopefully have already heard our other episode where we tried some of the snacks available at this event that we went to. But today we're going to get into um, the actual restaurant, the dinner that we had there, um, and a little bit more about the event itself. Um, go ahead. Yeah. So let's talk about the food that we had at, it's the Hute. Or, or the Hut. It's spelled H-U-T-T-E. When I called, they said Hute. Hute. Okay. Which doesn't sound super Swiss to me, but what do I know about yeah, Swiss? It does have two of the little dots above the it's U. It's got the little shikas. Yeah. I don't know what those are, but I know Motorhead had them, and I love Motorhead. Were they Motorhead? They were not. They were Motorhead. I don't know. <laughs> Um, all right, so the food that we had. So what we're going to talk about, first of all, we were there for a specific reason. For if you've, Yeah, we were in Helvetia, mm-hmm. and we were there for a specific reason, which was... Um, Foshnacht. Foshnacht. Which um, means... What was it? Final night or something like that? I think so, yeah. Basically, to to kind of Ah, take this and to kind of take this and and break it down why we were there, once a year in a tiny um, Swiss village in the remote mountains of West Virginia, um, a bunch of weirdos like us show up to watch the locals um, take an effigy of Father Winter, parade him through the streets while wearing masks, and then burn him... Um, in effigy at the end to scare away Father Winter. I have to say, based on the recent weather, it worked. It worked. It was, and not only did it work, I'm not going to lie, it felt like I was in another time, another place. It was, it was wild. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was, so the masks, first of all, people make the coolest masks I've ever seen. Um, Some people make masks that are just awful and they're even better and they're even better yeah Yeah. they just feel so legit um they're so cool and if you go into is it their little convenience Mm -hmm. store they have what it's considered the museum of the masks but what it is is in the convenience store they have um masks from the past years which i assume are previous winners of the contest yeah they probably are um just hung up on the walls Mm -hmm. and they're cool they are very cool yeah, and if you are a Fallout fan like me and uh, Kelsey's husband are Fallout fanatics, um, they also have this event in Fallout 76. So the Fallout community had a big showing there. Um, yes, they did. And actually, yeah. so one of the one of the guys I work with actually went to um, Foshnot as well, and he got the tour, and he was talking to the tour guide. And remember how you and I said it just felt very disorganized? Correct. Um, he said they were still trying to recover after covid oh okay that makes sense for re for reintroducing the event on and the scale 
thanks to Fallout 76, it's has huge. been insane. Yeah, it's it's big. For such a small town, they are absolutely inundated with people. They probably make enough money at this to keep the town going for the rest of the year. And I, I, I'm not, I had so much fun. I, I will, I will say next year, I'm going to go a little bit later in the day because we, we did have a couple lull periods where we were like, well, we'll just stand here and watch the people come by in masks. Like we did a lot of people watching. So if you would show up a little bit later, you'd still get a lot of the really cool stuff. Yeah. Um, you'd still get to spend oh, your money there. there too, right? Yes. We got there at two. He got there at noon. Noon. Wow. We didn't yeah. even run into him. I didn't see him, That's but there wild. were billions of people Did he there. see you? I don't know. Huh. Weird. Okay. Um, it was very fun. I am going to make a, an oath that if the weather is decent, I will be back every year. Um, I'll go a little bit later in the day. I had so much fun, though. Me too. Um, I think I'm going to make it a yearly thing for me uh, because I also loved the food. Yeah. The food I, was good. I've been dreaming of that brat that we had, the sandwich. Oh, that was good. And the you know sauerkraut. Oh. Oh, unreal. As a person who loves sauerkraut, mm-hmm. I just want to know how they make their sauerkraut. Mm-hmm. I know it's traditional. I don't care that it's traditional. I'm white. It works. <laughs> give, give, give that to me. It, it, it belongs to my people. All right, let me the have the whites. Yes. Um, <laughs> I actually am Swiss. Oh well, then I can just send you. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm all together and be like, hey guys, listen, I am one of you. Um, <laughs> And uh, here is the, what's it called, 23 and Me. Here's this to prove it. Um, I would like discount cheese and uh, your recipe. Let's talk about that cheese. Let's get into it because it's part of the platter. Oh. So let's talk about it here. So what we're going to do, guys, we tried the Swiss sampler plate um, at the... Hute Hut. Hute Hut, whatever we want to call it. Sorry, guys. If you listen to this, we're not trying to be mean legitimately. We're, we're just trying to figure not. it out. Um, so here is what we're going to do. We're going to break down the platter that we got. So the platter had several things on it and was $25, sorry, $24, which I think was an incredible deal for the amount of food we got. I agree. Um, so let's start off with the first thing, the bratwurst. Oh, the bratwurst. It was fantastic. It Divine. was nice and moist. It yep. was, it's made locally, isn't it? I believe so. Yeah. We could double yeah. check that with them, but I believe so. I believe it's yep. made locally and it is, it was, it was what we had on that sandwich and it was just so out of this world. Good. good. Yeah. Um, it was very salty, uh, but it had a lot of other flavors working in there. You could tell it had a lot of spices a in it. It was sweet though. Um, it was a oh. little sweet. The texture was just right. It wasn't too fine. It wasn't too coarse. Um, highly recommend if you go there, especially when they're not doing, if you're going there when, when they're doing the platter, do the platter. But if you're there any other time, the bratwurst and the sauerkraut were my two favorite things on that plate. That by far exactly where it was at. You know what though? Even the tomato was nice. Oh, it was very. They nice. put a tomato with the mm-hmm. with the meal on the plate, and yep. even my husband, who doesn't like tomatoes, enjoyed ate it. it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He enjoyed it. absolutely enjoyed it. Next up would be the sausage patty. They call it our own sausage. It was amazing. It was very good. It was fantastic. That is house blend. Yes, and it, for sure, it is. It's in a tomato gravy almost, mm-hmm. and it is just absolutely. 
Yeah, you could tell you could tell that is like hand a handmade patty of sausage. It reminds me very much. It's it's very common for that area because it reminds me very much of the um, sausage that they do at like the buckwheat festival. Correct. Yeah. And you actually gave me the best comparison that I could think of for it. Uh, what you said, the filling of a really good cabbage roll is kind of what yes. it reminded me of. The same texture, the same energy, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> of, uh, as as that oh. filling that you get. So again, guys, as far as the meats go, two for two on the bratwurst and the sausage. And then I think we both have the um, the same idea around the chicken here. It's the Morgan um, Hinali chicken. I, I'm not sure what that means, but it was dry. It was incredibly dry. It was, um, it was seasoned very, very well. Yes. But it was dry as a bone. Yeah. Um, that was my issue with it. Yeah, I agree. I And I will <laughs> say... Maybe oh, we're just maybe we're just picky. Maybe we're picky when it comes to chicken, I think. I don't think we are because I mean, it's it's chicken. It's mm-hmm. easy to make it dry. Yeah. It is. Like yeah, it's easy for it to overcook, especially when you're making as much food as they needed to make. Yeah. I, I can kind of forgive it. Now I will say this. Br- so Brittany got a piece of chicken and she said hers was not dry at all. Hers was majority um, dark meat, correct. and so was Michael's, mm-hmm. and both of theirs was a little bit better. Yep. but it was still on the dry side. Yeah. I'm still, and I'm and I'm gonna say I'm gonna say exactly what we talked about when we tried it, which was, um, you know, the consistency is what matters the most. So even mm-hmm. if two people sitting at the table got a piece of chicken that was less dry, that still means two people got a piece of chicken that was dry. Um, this is not a knock on the flavor on that chicken at all. And again, was perfect. I want to point out that they must have had, I'm going to go out and limousine easily 1200 people coming through that restaurant in that day. Minimum. Yeah. Um, So there mm. was a line all the way around the block. Like it was insane. The wait for that was out of this world. (laughs) So I'm going to give them a little bit of a pass on that. And I will be back this summer. I think we should make another trip and maybe do a live episode and try something else on their menu. Well, I was thinking Um, maybe Millie's birthday. Oh, let's do it. Let's make that happen. We talked about that. Absolutely. Let's do it. So that's what we're going to have to do. All right. Let's talk about the cheese that was on this. Correct. So the two sides that you got aside from the veggies, which we're going to get to in a minute um there was um a piece of their homemade swiss cheese that's made right there in that area what did you think i bought a pound of it me too yeah (laughs) i bought a pound of it immediately and it was like 15 bucks if you don't Don't care if you don't want to go to the restaurant first of all shame on you because it's freaking delicious and the atmosphere is amazing it felt like it not my grandma's house because my grandma's house didn't look like that but it felt like a grandma's house, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. It had all kinds of like knickknacks, knickknacks, and, yeah. and things, and it was really clean for all it the was, knickknacks and shockingly. like photos yeah. and just all kinds of memorabilia. Yeah, it was, I loved it. It was a really neat place to go, and I love that none of their tables or chairs, none of that matched. matches. It's none so of cool. the plates. Yeah. It was. Very, very cool. And it is and it is not a hipster type of not matching. It is literally just like this is what we had, so sit down this and enjoy some. This is what we dinner. found at the yeah. Goodwill and you will eat it off of this plate. So the cheese itself is a it's very um first of all, it's very um and this is gonna be weird to say for cheese because it's I'm, creamy and it's not it's strong. creamy and it's not strong. That's exactly right. It, it's very it's got a very nice, gentle bite when you mm-hmm. bite into it. And it's got a very For a Swiss, it is not 
a strong flavor. But it still has a really nice nutty flavor to yeah. it, which is odd. Um, because I just I, don't think it's aged as long. Yeah, maybe it's just not aged, but man. And if you don't want to go to the restaurant, the Swiss Heritage Store, which is the little market that we went into, mm -hmm. does sell it by the, I believe, half pound and full pound. Yeah, you can buy it. It was like $8 <coughs> for half a pound and, and 15, 15 for a full yeah, pound. Yeah, for, for the big block. And I just yep. bought the whole thing. Yeah, it's outrageously good. I can't wait good. to cook with it. And guys, let me explain this again. It is... It is homemade cheese that you can walk into a market and go buy in the middle of basically this little alpine village in West Virginia. It's yeah. so cool. It um, is. Go do it. Go do it. I recommend going in the summer, though, because in the winter, even if it's not snowy down off the mountains, when you get up there, you're going to hit some patches. We did. Um, it we wasn't did. horrible. I mean, I, but... I, my car's a Subaru. I was not concerned right. about it. Um, then let's get to the other sides that were on there. So we'll go through these quickly because I think we all feel the same way about these two. So first off, the buttered green beans, they just tasted like good canned green beans to me. But they were good. And they were very good. Yeah. Um, they were clearly buttered. Um, they had a really nice flavor to There's them. There was bacon in them too. There was definitely bacon. And then there was also parsley potatoes, which I do think were a little under-seasoned for me. Um, we both agree on that. Yeah. Um, they were okay. But you know my favorite part of that plate? What? The quaint little piece of bread with mm -hmm. the butter. And it was just like, it was just so reminiscent of my my childhood. Same. And I just really, really love that as a touch. Yeah. It felt good. Yeah. <laughs> right? And let's talk about the dessert. Now, well, there's one thing we haven't talked Why about. Have we not talked about? In great detail yet. The king of the plate, the thing that I oh, will be going back for, the sauerkraut. Okay, listen. It's perfect. The sauerkraut oh. is perfect. It is sweet. It is sour. It is not too Salty. Bavarian. Oh. It is just, it is the perfect pickled cabbage oh it's so good it's oh. the best sauerkraut i've ever had in my I life i love sauerkraut Me michael too. doesn't like sauerkraut and he loved it and he loved it yeah. yeah and then oh the and sauerkraut then i got to finish his anyway so. the sauerkraut with the brat with the hot mustard oh, oh God, okay it was good yeah literally i know we say this a lot I do anyway. One of the best things I've ever had doing this show. No, it was one of the best things so I've ever good. had. Um, period. So good. And then I, the peach cobbler. Let's do that. It, it was, was odd. not a traditional cobbler. It was not. It was um like like a cake mm -hmm. with peach and um it had this really beautiful like cream sauce over it. It was, it was a good cream sauce. It was excellent, but it was a very very light dessert it and was. more of a palate cleanser mm -hmm. than than a full-on what we would decide as a dessert because we're very American. Correct. And and what I said when I was there, I'm still going to maintain is how I feel about this. It reminded me of a pineapple upside down cake, but instead mm. of doing pineapple, you did peach. It reminded me a lot of like a coffee cake. Kind of a coffee cake vibe. That you'd have like it. tea or yeah. coffee with. It was very good. It was not too sweet. It was, it mm -hmm. was really, like you said, just kind of right down the middle. And I like that the cake wasn't too sweet because the cream was sweet. I would slap sweet. the shit out of somebody for some of that cream though. It was just. Oh, it was so good. Yeah. It was okay. Perfect consistency. So that's all we have from... from that's it. Uh, that's the show. Stay creepy. <laughs> from uh, Helvetia <laughs> and from the Hute, hopefully I'm saying that right, Hut, if I'm not, um, restaurant. And and the, the only thing we have this year from Fosnock, um, I, will, I will be back there. I don't know if you want to go back or not. I um, will be there. It was so fun. Yeah. 
it was really cool. Next time, I'm going to get a much better front row seat for when they burn uh, Father Winter, or Old Man Winter, is oh, I think definitely. who it is. So, by, by the way, the coolest part was when they said, who's ready to burn Old Man Winter? And everybody started, like, screaming. And they just parted the crowd, and they just walked him up to the mm-hmm. fire and just chucked him on. It definitely. was so cool. Okay. It was. It felt so primal and it awesome. Did. Super cool. Okay, so I'm going to turn it over to All you. All right. All right, go ahead. Bad news, everybody. It's a me episode. Um, all right. So get ready for the next month to be hearing about this one. I'm excited. This is so cool. Go ahead. All right. So July 1st, 1975, around 3 a.m., the body of an unidentified woman was found by the resident of the Wasatch Mobile Trailer Village. That person was returning home from work. Okay. The woman had been stabbed in the neck and the left side. Police said the neck wound just above the collarbone on the left side was extremely severe and probably was the cause of death. The second wound was not quite as deep. Lieutenant Vic Morris of the Detective Bureau said the authorities found evidence that the stabbing took place on the 300 block of East Arbata Street. The woman appeared to have staggered about 800 feet to the trailer park where she collapsed and died. They believe the stabbing to have occurred between 2.30 and 3 a.m. There was no ID found on the body or at the scene. Police checked missing persons files, but found no one who matched the dead woman's description. Morris said the fingerprints would be taken to aid in identification. A lieutenant on the case said the neck wound was more than two inches long and extremely deep. He also said the police feel that a major artery had been cut by the knife and that she bled to death. This murder was the fifth in the Colorado Springs and El Paso County area in two weeks. Three of the homicides occurred in the sheriff's office jurisdiction. The other murder um, in the city occurred Friday night when a Fort Carlson soldier was stabbed to death during a drug transaction in the Prospect Lake area. July 2nd, 1975, the autopsy confirmed that the Jane Doe had bled to death as her cause of death after the artery had been severed by the stab wound in her neck. Fingerprint records failed to identify the body. Police said no one matching her description had been listed yet as a missing person. This was also in the 70s. So you really have to think, like, they didn't have computer technology. So their missing persons reports would be what had been filed in their station. Yeah. Yeah. Lieutenant um, Vic Morris said that the woman was around 5'6", weighed about 122 pounds, had shoulder blade length, brown hair, and hazel eyes. He said the body had a two-inch horizontal scar on the right side of the waist. It wasn't an appendectomy, but it did appear to be a surgical scar of some type. Um, Morris also said the body was clothed in a two-tone green pullover blouse that had a V-neck, long sleeves, and um, had a dark green rib-knit waistband and standard Levi-type blue jeans with a brown belt. She also wore dark brown open sandals with a toe loop, and those had been found at the scene, not on her. So my guess is she kicked him off when mm-hmm. she was trying to move quickly. Yeah. July 4th, Police Chief Oren Bolin said, We don't believe that we have a maniacal killer on the loose. As he and other top law enforcement officials reassured the community, everything possible was being done to find the killers of six people that had been slain in the last 16 days. Six people in 16 days. But wow. they don't have a maniacal killer on the loose. They don't. Yeah, there's no way. 
Um, Bowling told newsmen that he didn't believe that the six crimes appeared to have been committed by the same person. He also stated that each crime seemed to have a separate identity. Chairman Tom Falks of the El Paso County Board of Commissioners said, this is not a crime in the street running rampant. Police officers were sent to start working more overtime hours in an effort to reduce crime in general, but more specifically to assist homicide investigators. Although he believed the cases had separate identities, Bowling said that any suspect that was picked up for questioning about one of the killings would also be questioned about the others. He also said his department had some fine leads in the case of the unidentified woman whose throat was slashed and her body found stabbed earlier in the week. Freddie Lee Glenn was born January 6th in 1957 in St. Petersburg, Florida. His father was in the military and his family lived in Fort Lewis in Washington. Freddie Lee Glenn arrived in Colorado Springs in the fall of 1974, fleeing what he described as an abusive situation in St. Petersburg, Florida. His father allegedly drank and beat his mother. 17-year-old Freddie tried to protect her and instead got beat himself. His father declared that Freddie had to leave or he'd kick them all out, including Freddie's mom and sisters. So Freddie left. He had an aunt who worked in food service at Fort Carlson. He stayed with her for a few weeks and then found a civilian job at the base and moved into an apartment house that was just absolutely filled with Fort Carlson people, including GIs that weren't much older than Glenn. The fact that Glenn had his own car made him very popular with many of the soldiers because they couldn't afford their own vehicles. Um, Glenn began hanging out with a man named Michael Corbett and another man named Larry Dunn. They were two of the army guys in the apartment house that he lived in. Corbett was 19 and seemed to have a fascination with violence. Dunn was in his 30s and had been to Vietnam, where it was said that he'd seen things that messed with his head. Glenn often gave them rides and got high with them. Glenn is quoted in stating, It started out okay, just young guys smoking weed and playing music. But Corbett and Dunn began talking about wanting to pull a robbery to alleviate their funds, but they needed one thing. They needed transportation to make the robbery happen. After drinking some wine, smoking some weed, and then taking two hits, two hits of LSD, Glenn agreed wow. to drive them. He drank. Okay. All right. So, yeah. Wine, so this, weed, and LSD. Everything here sounds great. Uh, sounds like nothing's going to go wrong. Nothing could possibly go wrong um, at this point. Sounds like this this young man uh, who is, from the sound of it, kind of unstable, certainly from an unstable uh, background, has found some people that are going to take advantage of him and let him have some LSD and then uh, drive out to commit a crime. Okay. June 19th, wow. 1975. Glenn drove Larry Dunn and Michael Corbett to the Four Seasons Motor Inn. He stayed in the car while Corbett and Dunn went across the parking lot. Daniel Van Lone was leaving his job as a cook at the Four Seasons Hotel. Intending to rob him, Corbett and Dunn ordered him at gunpoint to come with them. Glenn was surprised when they returned to the vehicle with a person and not just money, but they put him in Glenn's car and um, Glenn provided a scarf that they blindfolded him with. Glenn then drove them to an isolated road where he says he stayed in the car. And Corbett and Dunn made Van Loan lie on the ground. And Corbett killed him with a single shot to the head. They stole 50 cents. 
Corbett would later be quoted in bragging that he blew a dude's brains out. That's horrific. Eight days later, Corbett was approached by a young soldier looking to buy $10 worth of weed. Corbett arranged a meeting with him. Glenn drove him there and stayed in the car while he went to the park to meet with Winford Prophet. Corbett later admitted that he stabbed Prophet to death. Having been trained to use bayonets, Corbett just really wanted to see what it was like. Three days later, after Prophet's murder on June 30th, Glenn spent the evening on wine, weed, and acid. Because this is how we deal with our problems. A friend who dropped by recalled that Glenn just really seemed like he wanted to get super high. Which, honestly, as a person who doesn't get super high, I get it. I mean, I, I mean, the thing is, if you, I, so, mm, I mean, it sounds like this guy was wrestling with a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of internal demons. A lot of shit. And needed, and needed to use those drugs to help himself kind of escape it. And then uh, piling murdering people on top of it um, Mm -hmm. probably wouldn't have helped any. This is this is kind of tragic, but okay. Man, that's rough. It just gets worse, so buckle up. Oh, July okay. 1st, 1975. The next chauffeuring expedition included Corbett, Dunn, and another soldier named Eric McLeod. They were intent on robbing the local Red Lobster on South Academy Boulevard, which, you know, when I think about, like, robbing places, I don't think motels Two-bit restaurants. I'm sorry, Red Lobster. Your biscuits well, are great, but... Okay, hold on. Was it during Lobster Fest? Because there could have been a lot of money there had it been. Um, oh, my God. Could have been a lot of money there. It is... It is. Red Lobster is not my favorite restaurant. I'll, Their I'll biscuits are good. Their biscuits are astounding. I don't know. Maybe they were better in 1975. I'll tell you this. If anyone has... And, I, and please don't judge me when I say this name. But if anyone has a Golden Corral near them... They have knockoffs of those biscuits that are just as good. They're really good. I have really never good. been to the Golden Corral. They're okay. There's nothing great. They have uh, the one of the main reasons I ever went is they have that make your own steak area where they you pick uh-huh. it and they'll cook it the way you want them to cook it. That's cool. That's worth paying for. Everything else is just kind of okay. I don't know if we've talked about it on the show, but I absolutely refuse buffets. It and depends on the buffet. I refuse buffets in general. All buffets. Okay. Unless, unless it's a really high class one, okay. like in Vegas or something. I was about to say when we go to Vegas, I'm going to go. There's to two of them we have to go to. I will go to right? buffets with you in Vegas. Okay. I will. That will be the thing that makes me not boycott them anymore. If However, anyone out there wants to pay for our Vegas trip and for the buffets, <laughs> reach out. Uh, you, we'll put your name at the beginning of the episode. All right. Um, heck, you could even go with us and, and try the buffet. The episode. Yeah. Hell. Yeah, we'll um, record live with you there. It'll be awesome. Go yeah. ahead, though. Sorry. When I heard that Golden Corral had fountains, mm-hmm. that was when I went, you know what? Some things should never be done. And I've <laughs> never idea. been to Golden Corral. I, I did not try the fountain. <laughs> uh, you're talking about the, the chocolate fountain and the cheese fountain. And Those all that? are yeah. the fountains. Because yeah, never tried it. I, um, I couldn't. I couldn't imagine some of the people that I've seen working the dish tank. Mm-hmm. I could not imagine one of them taking apart a fountain and actually sanitizing and actually it appropriately. It the right way. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. All right. Getting off track. <laughs> Completely off track. That's that's the charm. <laughs> All right. All right. So anyway, they were intent on robbing this Red Lobster. 
Once they were at the restaurant, however, they lost their nerve. Instead, they abducted a woman named Karen Grammer, who was waiting outside for her boyfriend to get off work. They were fearful that she might be able to identify them and took her to Glenn's car at gunpoint. They got her in the car and told him to take off. Let's talk about this. First of all, these men are awfully like, we're going to go, we're going to go rob this place. Then they lose their nerve and they didn't even go in or do the robbery stuff. But their excuse was they thought she would be able to identify them for what? Walking near the restaurant. Listen, if, if you caught me walking into a red lobster and I knew you, I would be like, don't say anything. Um, I just, <laughs> it's like, don't tell anyone that I came here. You know what? All right? you're, you're right. I haven't had enough LSD to, um, to understand, to this. understand the yeah, thoughts. You can't, you can't get into their mind and, and, and understand them until having had that had LSD. coffee and no yeah. LSD. Yeah. All right. This isn't funny. Glenn stayed in the car with Karen while Dunn and McLeod robbed a 7-Eleven. They emerged with cheap jewelry and $60. So they are doing better at this point. I mean, it was the 70s, so $60 was way more money than, like, it is today. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. After this, they had Glenn drive them back to McLeod's apartment where the men repeatedly sexually assaulted... Karen Grammer. They promised her that they would take her home. Then they sat her in the car, put a cloth over her head, and let her out at a mobile home park. In an attempt to save herself, she ran back toward the porch of a nearby home where there was a light on. Unfortunately, the homeowners were out, and having been stabbed, she died at the property, leaving a bloody handprint and fingerprints where she tried to reach the doorbell. Police photographs show bloody handprints on the wall near the doorbell. Police were unable to determine who she was until her roommate at the time called to report her missing, and subsequently, her brother, Kelsey Grammer, came to identify her. The Kelsey Grammer? The Kelsey Grammer. No way. Yes way. That's horrible. So, Kelsey Grammer's really interesting. His sister was obviously murdered. His father was also murdered. No way. And something I believe tragic happened with his brother as well. That's awful. Yeah, it's it's I I don't know anything about Kelsey Grammer other than I absolutely love him as Sideshow Bob. Uh love him and yeah. every interview I see with him, like when I would watch interviews back in the day, he seemed like a, a genuinely nice person. Yeah. So, like so here's the thing. So Kelsey Grammer was in a show at one point and played a character who named their their daughter Kelsey. Mm-hmm. That is how I got my name. My mom really? my mom named me after a television show because her mom named her after a television show. It's a it's a thing. And then wow. I named Millicent after so, I looked up old names and I liked that we one. We are we are coming full circle today. Yeah. So wow. Yeah, it's it's just We we got in touch with my Swiss roots and and where you got your name? This is yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's really it's yeah. really interesting. Not me, the Kelsey Grammer stuff. It really just, is. Yeah. But you know what? Buckle up, hang tight. I think you're going to look at Kelsey Grammer a lot differently by the end of this. FYI, three hundred thirty-six dollars and forty-three cents is how much the sixty bucks would have been. These morons have now killed two people 
and knocked over a 7-Eleven for $336.43. I hope they get what's coming to them. Go ahead. At this point, Glenn distanced himself from Corbett and Dunn, and after that night, moved out of the apartment house. Largely because Corbett went on killing people and bragging about it, the murders were solved relatively quickly. Three weeks after the Grammar murder, Corbett shot Winslow Watson III in the face over a stolen loaf of bread. A few weeks after that, he was arrested and charged with a shotgun slaying at a bar. He was suspected but not charged in several other high-profile crimes at the time. Karen Elisa Grammer was identified on July the 8th. She just moved to Colorado from Florida in the early um, part of February. Authorities believed that four of the rash killings were solved by the returning of indictments charging three defendants with the murders. Michael Corbett, 20, of Fort Carlson, was charged with three counts of first-degree murder. He allegedly killed Daniel Von Lone on June 19th, Winford Prophet on June 27th, and Winslow D. Watson III on July 25th. Corbett had already been um, arrested and was being held in jail for first-degree murder of a man named Ricky Lewis, who was shot September 6th outside of Bell's Nightingale. He was also already charged with three counts of first-degree assault and two second-degree assault charges, all arriving after the incident at the nightclub. He was, at this point, also facing a charge of armed robbery and conspiracy. The second defendant, Freddie Lee Glenn, was charged with killing Karen E. Gramer. He was also accused of killing Watson. He was, at the time, being held in jail for armed robbery. The third defendant's name was suppressed, as was the name of the victim and date of the killing, as that defendant was not being held in custody. And the reason was they were currently putting pressure on Larry Dunn, who made a deal for immunity in exchange for testifying against Corbett and Glenn. We get mad a lot. He and was we're given about to immunity? Get... We get mad a lot. And um, by... So... They... Yeah. They gave him immunity? They didn't immunity. give him a reduced sentence or anything like that? They gave someone immunity who assisted in basically serial murders? Just, okay. just keep right. listening. I'm gonna, okay, so I'm sorry, I, I'm shutting up. You know what? I, I'm going to ask you how you're feeling at this point, because at this point, I was really looking at this from a perspective of these men were horrible, they did this horrible thing, and they deserve everything they got. And I think you'll... I was very surprised about how I felt about everything by the time we get to the end of the story. Okay, so if you want to know how I feel right now... Yes. First of all, um, I'm not I'm not shocked by the crimes... This seems to be this seems to be a unfortunately a fairly common occurrence. Loners who who seem to kind of thrive outside of society, finding each other and and doing horrible things together. I'm actually working on an episode right now that feels very similar to this, but takes place in a different country. So that's I'm kind of getting flashbacks to the my own research I'm doing. Um, I'm going to say that I was not surprised. I was still horrified by the crimes themselves, but now I'm completely enraged at hearing that one of them could potentially get um, immunity uh, 
for testifying against the other two, that is insanity. And whoever agreed to give him immunity needs to have uh, their head examined because they are they're out of it. They're you're you're okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Getting too mad about this. I want to hear the rest of it. Okay. Um, You'll be happy to hear that Glenn was also offered a plea bargain if he would testify against just Corbett. The deal would have landed him a 10-year prison sentence, but he claimed to be deathly afraid of Michael Corbett, and that was why he insisted that he continue to drive for him after the first murder, and also he didn't want to enter the prison system branded as a snitch. (laughs) So Dunn becomes the star witness against the other two. Despite having participated in the murders of Van Loan and the abduction and rape of Grammer, and allegedly also the murder of Grammer, but we will never know for sure. Based largely on Dunn's testimony, Glenn was convicted of killing Grammer. But the other person who helped just got to walk away scot free. That's Dunn. And no, he didn't. Oh, okay. All right. Glenn was convicted. For his role in the Van Loan and Profit murders, as well as the murder of Karen Grammer, who, again, was the sister of actor Kelsey Grammer. Only Glenn was convicted of her death amongst the three of them. He was convicted in 1976. Judge Hunter Hardman noted there was no rhyme or reason for what happened and sentenced Glenn to the gas chamber for Karen Grammer's murder. Both Corbett and Glenn received death sentences. McLeod pled guilty to rape and armed robbery and got... 15 to 20 years. From the outset, Glenn has maintained that he hadn't killed anyone and he was just the dummy in the car. He was never charged for the rape of Grammer and denied stabbing her, but under Colorado's felony murder law, someone who participated in a felony in any way could be found just as guilty of the resulting death. Despite not having any sex crime convictions against him, Glenn was still classified classified as a sex offender by the Department of Corrections. Think about that. 1975, mm-hmm. you didn't do it. You're still classified as a sex defen- sex offender entering the <coughs> Department of Corrections. I'd have taken the plea bargain. I think I would have too, yes. Like, I would not. Yeah, you're in some I trouble. I would rather be a snitch than a sex offender yeah, in the prison gonna, sense You're going to be in some trouble. Yeah, your first couple days there are not going to be pleasant. Glenn's attorney would later acknowledge that he had really never handled criminal cases and mainly represented personal injury. And Glenn was also never um, offered the chance to appeal. Wow. Corbett first became eligible for parole in 1996. His request was denied. Subsequent requests from the parole board in 1999 and late 2001 were also denied. In 2004, he waived his right to a parole hearing. He was then denied for a fourth time in 2010. In prison, Corbett was working on his bachelor's degree and earning an associate's degree in sociology and social studies. In 2010, he said, I could never express the sorrow that I feel for the victims and the family and the society in general. I have concerns. I have love. There was a time when I didn't have any of this. His longtime friend, Kathy, insisted that he was a changed man who had crafted a new life in prison. And while in prison, he had converted to Islam, and he was now going by the name of Hassani Shinengwa, which I really hope I'm pronouncing correctly, and I think I'm close based on internet pronunciation help. 
Okay. Um, despite the grisly murders that he committed, Kathy said that Corbett was valuable with his time and did reach out to other prisoners. His daughter was born just before his arrest. As an adult, she lived in New York and visited her father regularly. In 1978, Colorado's death penalty was declared unconstitutional, so the three killers were all recents. Glenn received three 10-year-to-life sentences to be served consecutively for the murders that he was convicted of, which, under the sentencing scheme in place at the time, meant that he wouldn't be eligible parole until after 30 years, which made him eligible for parole initially in 2006. That's Glenn. That's not Corbett, Mm -hmm. who did all the crazy things. Corbett was eligible in 1996. That's wild how that can... This ban actually did remove seven inmates from death row, though. In 1979, lawmakers reinstated the death penalty, but only one execution took place over the next four decades before it was fully abolished in 2020. Which, which, I mean, between me and you, um, and, I, and again, I don't think this is a political stance, so I will talk about it. Um, I am not pro-death penalty. Um, I, I just, I'm not. I, I understand the, I understand the emotion behind it, saying we should put this person to death. But I don't know that anybody is capable of of doling out the penalty of death to anyone else. And I don't like the idea that. That that person who does it basically is speaking for a society at large where there are people that don't believe in the death penalty. So I think that I would have disagreed with you until I started really deeply researching this case. Because I was because I I am very naive into the world in some ways. I think I, I'm sure I am. Um, I, I think we probably all are. Yeah, I, I wasn't super sheltered, but I was sheltered enough to think like, oh, yeah, vigilante justice. That's a thing. That's cool. Like, not not cool, but like, it's a thing that's OK. Mm-hmm. There are points in time when that is fine. As a person raised on superheroes, that is like how my brain works. That said, this this case has been a lot. Um, and I it just gets more and more difficult to deal with that stance and we're going to talk about all of that next time all right this is going to get interesting this is going to get interesting all right and remember guys even if you disagree with me when i said that i am not pro death penalty we can all still be friends all right oh yeah for Um, sure i am just i am just saying that and you know you would think that i would be the one all about vigilante justice i love death wish i love charles bronson i should probably be okay with it Uh, i I just i think between the two of us you are a little bit more sentimental and you have the ability to be a little more um, empathetic. Maybe. maybe. Um, just based on, like, our reactions to different cases and how things are going. But I'll, like, stuff sticks with you longer than it does But I'll me. tell you, what's really funny, though, is um, whenever you're going over it and they're like, the person was given the death penalty, in my head I'm always like, hey, good. <laughs> what you deserve. And then I'm immediately like, no, we don't believe in that. All right. It's not, you know, so I get it. I get the knee jerk reaction. I get wanting someone to pay the price for what they did. Um, yeah. But there's I a just... point where I think, remember, these were, these were black men in the seventies. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like while they did some horrible, horrible things for sure, there, there was maybe a little bit of racism behind the sentencing. 
I mean, I, I can see that. I can definitely see that, especially for the one who um, maintained that he was basically just driving the car. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I understand. I understand where you're coming from. Um, and I also understand that was, and now he's the one who also left and moved out right after mm-hmm. it happened, correct? Um, did he take place, did he, did he take part in the assault? Did he admit to that? He never did. He never admitted never to Never admitted to it, no. Okay. All right, that's just... He literally has only ever admitted to driving the vehicle to some degree. Um, but yeah, well, like I said, we'll get into that next week. All right. I think we need to give these creeps some of their time back. I think we do. All right, this has been a long episode. The next one will be long, too, because we have some more to talk about. But you can find us on... Google Podcasts, um, Amazon. You can find us on Audible. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, iHeartRadio, and other places where you find really great podcasts, but also us. And where can they reach us, Matt? They can reach us at maincorpsepodcast at gmail.com, Facebook, or Twitter. Please avoid sending anything through Instagram. We never check it. Unless you want to be in charge of our gram. If you do, yeah, get a hold of us. Yeah, (laughs) it is a non-paying position, but uh, you can try some of the food we get. For sure. All right, we'll hook you up. All right, stay creepy, guys. Stay creepy.